Good morning, everybody. It sure is good to see you all here today. Um, before we jump into the message, I just want us to, to spend a little bit of time uh, you know, in, in, in prayer and, and for, for everything that kind of took place in our community over the weekend. Um, before we, we get to that time of prayer, I do want to real quick just take a moment to thank everybody who reached out to, to me over the past couple of days offering your help and, and your service, you know, saying that, hey, if you hear of anybody who needs anything, my hands and my chainsaw are ready to go. Um, thank you so, so much. That's such a beautiful picture of community. It's such a, a beautiful way that, 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 that Jesus is evident in you and in your life. Um, if you're here and if, if, if you are still without electricity or if you need anything, Please, please, please let us know. Like, there are people here who do want to help. And if you need a place to stay for a little bit, we have people, I had a guy who offered up uh, a part of his home, you know, or after first service. If, you know, we, we have things that, that we can do if you need that in any way. Um, but you know what? I, I've been around a couple of different areas whenever there's been a, a tragedy like this, and I'm sure all of you have as well. And, and it always seems that after the, the tragedy takes place, something so interesting take, happens. It seems that people are just a little bit more patient with each other. It seems that people are just a little bit kinder. It seems that, 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 that people are just a little bit more grateful. And so what I want to encourage you with today is a friend to friends is, may we continue that throughout this season and we continue that throughout this season because, I mean, I would imagine that many of us who have ordered gifts or something like that through Amazon, they're probably going to be late now. And that's okay. May we be compassionate. May we be gentle. May we be humble in the way that we respond. I, I, I know that this should be our aim every single day, but as I was thinking about, you know, how, what I would want to say to us in a moment like this, the words that came to my mind were Paul's definition of it, they, they were Paul's definition of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where he says, "Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth." Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. And in whatever way that we possibly can as a church and as individuals, may we live out this definition of love. But right now, I do want us to take some time in, in, in prayer. I want us to simply pray for our community. I want to pray for the family and the friends and the neighbors and the co-workers who, who lost someone that they deeply, deeply love. I've seen a couple of different GoFundMe accounts on, on Facebook, so if that's something you're interested in, I know at least a couple of them are out there. I, I want us to pray for our first responders. I mean, these, these people, I, I got messages from people in our church who were our, our medical professionals and, and just saying, hey, you know, we're getting ready to have to, we're, we're all being called in. And, and our first responders just dropping everything and running into disaster 
It's such a beautiful trade. Our, our, our medical professionals just dropping everything and going to where there's a need is such a beautiful thing. May we thank God for them and may we pray for their continued safety. And then I also want to just pray for those who are shaking a little bit, who are a little shaken by just how close this thing hit. I know that, that, that storms can be terrifying. I, I grew up as a kid who was always terrified of storms because I lived in southwest Missouri, and that's what happens there all the time. And I was so, so scared. And I, I, I know that that might be something that some of our kids are dealing with right now, and it might be something that some of us are dealing with right now. And so may we pray for that comfort as well. But right now, please, let's lift up these families who, who are deeply hurting. Um, and if you guys would just pray for a few moments, then I'll close this out. our comforter, you are our provider, you are our sustainer, and I'm, you know, one of the things as we went through the book of John for a few months here recently that we saw over and over again is that you can take tragedy and use it for your glory. And so Jesus, right now I pray for the families that are hurting I pray for them throughout this Christmas season that, I mean, all the plans and everything that they had in mind, I mean, everything changed in an instant. And Jesus, I pray that you will comfort those families. I pray that this community can come and wrap their arms around them, that we can be a, a, a place of, of, of solace, and a, that, that your church can come and support any way that they can, as I know that there are many churches throughout our community and many churches throughout the surrounding states who right now are praying for those who are hurting. God, we just lift our voices to join with the prayers of all the saints and asking you to do what only you can do, to be the God of comfort, to be the God of peace in moments of insurmountable pain and wandering. Jesus, I, I, I love you and I love that even whenever I don't understand, even whenever we don't understand, that we can still trust you. So Father, I pray that you are glorified. And I pray that you wrap your arms around those who are hurting and that they will know that your presence is near. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, the older I get the more and more I become aware of the many emotions that accompany Christmas. And th this was just, you know, further solidified with the events of this past weekend, and not just in this community, but in Kentucky and Arkansas and Missouri and Tennessee. You know, there's never a good time for a natural disaster, but this time of year presents a series of of, of trials and complications that, that make it especially difficult. But the events of this past weekend, I mean, they, they're, they're just an addition to the pain that many others have already been experiencing. 
And whenever we come to this time of year, so often the, there, there's this pain of the reminder of loss. There's this pain of the reminder of unmet expectation. There's this pain of the reminder of broken relationships. That yes, for many, Christmas truly is a season of joy and celebration. But for many others, it is a season of survival and heartache. And to those of you who, who may find yourself in that camp today, in, in that place of, of survival and heartache, I hope that you can hear me right now, that it is into your heartache, it's into this moment that you're just trying to keep your head above water, that the Prince of Peace enters, that God, he became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. I, I, I love Christmas movies, not like last week you heard from Daniel and Kelsey. Daniel really, really loves Christmas movies. Like, I would say Daniel has an unhealthy obsession with Christmas movies. I have a healthy like of, of Christmas movies. So uh, I like about four Christmas movies. If you give me Elf, if you give me Home Alone 1, Home Alone 2, and maybe another one or two in there, I can be good for, for, for a long, long time. I've a, but, but one of my favorite movies is, is Home Alone. And I've already watched Home Alone multiple times this month, and I am here to promise you I will watch it multiple more times before the month is over. But then, like any logical adult, let me just throw this out there, I'm going to put it on the shelf until next December, okay? Like, that's just the way this is supposed to... Daniel's not in here. It's not as fun whenever he's not in here to, to, to do that. But, but I, I love Home Alone, and there's this scene in Home Alone 1 where... Kevin's mom, she's at an airport, and she's doing whatever she can to get back home to Kevin. I, I, I think that the airport's in, like, Scranton or something like this. It's right before John Candy's, like, little appearance in, in there, his little cameo. And, and she's there, and she's at the front desk, and she's trying to do everything she can to get this front desk worker to move, to do something, to get her on a plane so that way she can get home. And the front desk worker's like, oh, I'm sorry, ma'am, it's busy, it's Christmas, everything. And then she ends up saying these words. It's Christmas, the season of perpetual hope. And I love that so much. It's Christmas, the season of perpetual hope. Those words are so incredibly true. Because this Christmas season, the season of perpetual hope, it's the very hope that after 400 plus years of silence, that separates our Old Testament from our New Testament, this time to where God's people, the Israelites, they continue to experience all the things that they had been experiencing for generations before with one slight difference. This time there wasn't a prophet. This time there wasn't a spokesperson for God. This time in the midst of all their wandering and in, in, in the midst of all of their mess-ups, God was silent. But it's Christmas the season of perpetual hope that into this silence, into this moment, whenever you know all the Israelites were convinced, we've finally done it. We've finally gone too far. The God of the universe has finally turned his back on us. It's into this place that God put on flesh 
and made his dwelling among us. It's Christmas. It's the season of perpetual hope that, that even though some of us may have skeletons in our family's closet, I know none of you have skeletons in your family closet, or, or, or maybe some of us have some shady characters in our genealogy, but I know none of you have shady characters in our genealogy. But it's the promise, it's the hope that God can still do incredible things through you. I need you to hear this, that your family's sins do not disqualify you from being used by God. It's Christmas. It's the hope that even when our circumstances are not what we want them to be or what our circumstances are what we think that they should be, that we can have confidence that God is still working. It's Christmas. It's a season of hope that, that God can take the most unexpected people and the most unexpected places with the most unexpected circumstances, and he can use it all to point people back to himself. And today, as we continue on towards Christmas, we are going to take a look at this unexpected story of Christmas. We all know this. We've all had this thought at different times in our life that that God does not always do things the way that we think that he should, right? We've all always thought that God does not always use the people that we think that he should use. And, and this is true all throughout the Bible. This is true all throughout history. But it's especially obvious in this unexpected story of Christmas. Now, come on. I, I want you guys to think about this for a second. If you were to orchestrate the story of Christmas, what would it look like? If you were the one who, who, was, who, who was making this story take place, what would you do? I'll tell you what I would do. First off, whenever Jesus came into the world, I would make as big a deal about it as I possibly could. There would be some hear ye, hear ye's and all kinds of pomp and circumstance to try and draw all the attention that I could to the birth of the Son of God. But that's not how the real story goes. Instead, we see Matthew in Matthew's first chapter in his gospel. All he does is he gives us a list of names. He gives us this genealogy to show us that, yeah, Jesus has some shady characters in his genealogy. But the main thing that Matthew is trying to get across is that Jesus comes from the line of David. And if you know anything about David, you go back to the very beginning of David, before David was king or anything like that, David was so, so, so unexpected. You remember how the story goes. Samuel is sent um, to, to anoint a new king because Saul had kind of worn out his welcome. And so he's sent to, to the house of Jesse, and he goes to the house of Jesse, and Jesse has eight sons, but instead of bringing all eight sons in, he only brings in the oldest seven. And he goes and he grabs his oldest son and he brings him before Samuel and says, surely this is the one who's meant to be king. I mean, he's tall, he's strong, he's good looking. I mean, he looks like a king. This is the one. And Samuel's like, no, 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 that's not the one. And then he gets the next oldest and the next oldest and the next oldest until he brings all seven before Samuel. And Samuel's like, no, no, none of them are the one. Are you sure this is all your kids? And he says, well, there's one more, but he's like the runt of the litter and he's out in the field tending to the sheep. And he says, okay, well, bring him here. And so David comes in and he stands, and it's in this entire interaction of, of Samuel looking at these sons of Jesse and saying, that's not the one, that's not the one, that's not the one, that's not the one, that, that the Lord ends up saying this. The Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Now listen, 
The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And through David, we get a glimpse of God's heart and for, for the people that he desires to use. But, but if I was orchestrating this story, one question that I would have to ask myself is, okay, where would Jesus be from? Where would home be for Jesus? And, and obviously, I mean, the answer is going to be a metropolitan area. It's going to be a place to where he's surrounded by powerful people, where he's surrounded by all the movers and all the shakers, right? I mean, that's where Jesus, the Son of God, needs to be from. Instead, we see that, that Jesus is from Nazareth. And do you remember the story whenever Jesus goes and he calls Philip to be his follower? The very first thing that Philip did after Jesus called him to follow as Philip immediately went to Nathanael, and he said, Nathanael, you have to meet this man, Jesus of Nazareth, telling him that he believes that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, is the Messiah. And Nathanael looks at Philip and he says, Nazareth? Nothing good can come from Nazareth. Yet that's where Jesus from, I mean, and, and, and maybe the question that you'd have to ask is, okay, you know, if we're orchestrating this story, where would Jesus be born? And obviously the answer is Jerusalem. He needs to be born in a palace or, or near the temple. He, he, he needs to be born around the best medical professionals of the day, right? Well, no, he, he's born in a, a, a barn. <laughs> or more likely, he's born in like this tiny little cave in this tiny little insignificant town of Bethlehem. Okay, okay, but, but if we're making up this story, where is Jesus going to lay? And I can promise you, I would give Jesus the most blinged out, lush, comfy, little bedazzled crib that anybody could ever desire. It would be the crib that was the envy of all the other babies in the land. But Jesus, he gets stuck in a feed trough made for livestock. Well, who, who would Jesus' parents be? This is an easy one, right? Jesus' parents would have to be a king and a queen. At the very least, a, a, a prince and a princess, or, or, or perhaps even like a priest in his family. Like, like Jesus would have to come from somebody who was highly respected and highly regarded. But instead, we see that Jesus comes from this poor teenage girl and her poor blue-collar carpenter fiancé. Over and over and over again throughout the story, God uses the most unexpected of people and the most unexpected of circumstances. It's as if God in this story is trying to scream out to all humanity, if you don't think God could use you, you should know that it's you that God wants to use. If you don't think that God could use you, you should expect that it's you that God wants to to use. In this story, God is simply, essentially eliminating any question or excuse that we could ever have surrounding the question, can God use me? The answer is a resounding yes. And then all of a sudden the question becomes, okay, but will you be faithful? And this is the question that, that every unexpected person in this story has to answer, especially Jesus' mother, Mary. And so we are going to look at a text here for, for a few minutes that I'm guessing most of us are somewhat familiar for. It might be one of those texts that you gather your, your family around the table and you read it each and every year around this time. 
But I want you to do me a favor. I want you, as we read this text today, I want you to make a conscious effort to remember that these are real people who are facing real questions, who have to make real decisions that will have real consequences. One of the biggest dangers I, I fear with stories like, like this one or, or, or even the Easter story is that they're stories that we become so, so familiar with that all of a sudden we forget how real this really is. But we're going to begin reading in Luke chapter 1 and verse 26 where it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, and Daniel and Kelsey, they did such an incredible job last week giving us this personal, vulnerable message about, about their life, but also about Elizabeth and her, and her husband, Zechariah. But Elizabeth's pregnancy, she is pregnant with John the Baptist, the one who was sent to prepare the way for the Lord. And we know that Mary and Elizabeth, they are related somehow. How? We don't really know. Many speculate that they're cousins. Some people think that, well, maybe Elizabeth was her aunt. The one thing that we do know is that it is likely that Elizabeth was of an age that she was old enough to actually be Mary's grandma, whether they were aunt or cousin or whatever. There was quite an age difference there. But it says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. So Mary and Joseph are engaged, but this engagement is a slightly different than what we would view our modern day engagements. It was a little bit more uh, official, a little bit more complicated, and a little bit more binding. Uh, the, uh, the, the, this, this pledge that Mary and Joseph had made was somewhat a covenant relationship that the only way that you could break this pledge, the only way you could break this engagement was through a certificate of divorce. But Gabriel, he comes to Nazareth and Galilee to, to, to a virgin pledge to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, which is one of the main things Matthew would have wanted you to know. And this virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly, I love this word, favored. The Lord is with you. And the reason I love that so much is because there was absolutely nothing Mary had done to deserve to be favored by God. All of it was just simply an extension of God's grace into Mary's life. But whenever Mary heard this, she was greatly troubled at the angel's words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Those are very valid reactions, you know? Like, like nobody likes to be snuck up on. This is the most common biblical reaction to angels. And, 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 and it's so common for people to all of a sudden be startled because not only are you being snuck up on, but you're like being snuck up on by this glowing figure. And I mean, my, my kids love trying to sneak up on me, and it does not do much for my heart. Like, it hurts my heart every single time that they do it, and they think it's hilarious. But here, if my kids were glowing and they did it, you could just put me in the grave, right? But that's what you have going on here. And so it makes sense that, that Mary's reaction is she's a little bit startled, but another reason why Mary's reaction was what it was was because she was so troubled by the uncertainty of the message that the angel was giving her. Mary was not expecting this at all, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, to where Mary probably said, oh, okay, thanks, you know. You have found, here's that word again, favor with God. 
You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus, and he will be great and will be called. Now listen to these titles. The Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. It's this description right here that you can look at and say, this is what one of the first things that separates Jesus from John the Baptist. People were always trying to get John the Baptist to be Jesus, and people were always questioning if Jesus was just like John the Baptist. What one of the very first separators of Jesus and John the Baptist are the words of the angel Gabriel whenever he is telling Mary that she is going to be pregnant with the Son of the Most High, the one who will sit on the throne of his father David, the one who will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, the one whose kingdom will never end. Those are words that are designated to, to, to Jesus alone. In verse 34, Mary asked the question that has to be asked. Okay, well, how will this be? Since I am a virgin. And folks, that's a good question. How in the world am I supposed to get pregnant whenever I am only a virgin. I could get into all the details about why that's a good question, but we can all just look at each other and nod at me right now and say, yes, Andy, we understand why that's a good question. But something that, 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 that can't, or excuse me, let's continue on, verse 35. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And then to kind of prove to you that I know what I'm talking about, to prove to you, to, to kind of, you know, show you that, that you can believe my words here, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who is said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month of pregnancy. And then verse 37, this is so beautiful. For no word from God will ever fail. Other translations put it like this. For nothing is impossible with God. But now try and put yourself in the shoes of this poor little teenage girl who's just sitting there and trying to take all of this in. Because as soon as Mary receives this message, she finds herself standing in the middle of a crossroads of her faith and of her entire life. So many questions had to just be sprinting through her mind. How is she going to, re, to, to, to respond? Because again, this is a real person facing real questions who has to make real decisions that will have real consequences. And whatever, however she decides to respond to this angel's words will change the course of her life forever. And we all know this. That whenever a person is pregnant, you cannot hide the fact that you're pregnant forever. Soon there are going to be signs of the pregnancy. Soon she is going to have questions to answer. Soon she's going to have rumors to try and put away. And I just wonder if as Mary is sitting there and trying to contemplate and trying to make sense of everything that's taking place, how many times as all the questions were rolling through her mind, how many times did the question, why me? Come to the forefront. Why me? Why me? But very soon she's going to realize that she has to move on from this why me question and move on to the question of will I be faithful with what God is calling me to do? 
And that right there could be this sermon in a nutshell. Because each and every one of us are going to face moments in our lives to where we can feel this nudge of the Holy Spirit in our heart to where we're just sitting there thinking about nothing. And then all of a sudden, it's like, I need to reach out to this person. I need to call this person. I need to check in on this person. I need to go serve this person. I need to go help this person. It's all of a sudden, these things just pop into our mind, these nudgings that I would call nudgings of the Holy Spirit, these little pushes that just happen in our soul. And all of a sudden, we have to move on from, why would God want me to do this? Why would God call me to do this? And move into the question of, okay, will I be faithful with what God is calling me to do? And then you see Mary's response in verse 38. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. I believe with everything that I have and everything that I am, these words that Mary speaks here and other words like them are some of the most powerful words in all of Scripture. May, the word of, may, may your word to me be fulfilled. I am the Lord's servant. Other times it says something like this, and they did as the Lord commanded them. The depth of your relationship with God is not measured in how much you know. The depth of your relationship with God is measured in how much you live out these words. This is the foundation of discipleship, not just knowing stuff, but being moved into action because of who Jesus is making you into, who he's creating you to be. Jesus tells us that he came so that you could have life and, and have it to the full. Well, the way that you get to experience the full life of Jesus is through obeying the words and the commands of Jesus. So what are we going to do here? Whenever, whenever we feel these nudgings of the Holy Spirit, whenever we can tell that God is moving us in some direction, how are we going to respond? Are we going to get stuck on the why me place? Or are we going to eventually move into, will I be faithful with what God has asked us to do? Because we may not get a visit from an angel, and honestly, I think we can probably be thankful for that. But we are going to get these nudgings of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that this holiday season, one of the greatest things that, that we could do today that could happen to us and in us and through us and for us is to realize and to see that God really wants to use us. Like for that to truly be something that we believe, that, that God wants to use us to encourage others, that God wants to use us to pray for others, that God wants to use us to share the hope that we have in him with others, that God wants to use us to help others, that God wants to use us to offer hope to others, that, that, that we believe with everything that we are, that God has created every single person, those who would admit it and those who will not, that every single person has been created in the image of God, and God wants to use us to point out in them what it is and who it is that God has created them to be. That's what he's called us to do, and we have to get to this point where we get past, why would God want to use me? And get into this place to where we say, well, okay, God wants to use me, but will I be faithful? Because if you're anything like me, I don't know how many times I ask myself this question. I just sit back and I say, why would God want to use me? You ever been there? I know some of your stories. And I might look at it and say, I don't know why God would want to use you either. 
I promise you, I look at myself and I say, I have no idea why God would want to use me. But here's the thing that I hope can offer you some comfort today. God knows you better than you know you. And God knows what you're capable of better than you know what you're capable of. The reason that Jesus wants to use you is because the same way that Jesus entered into this world is the same way that he wants to rescue the world today. By using the everyday experiences of everyday people to point people back to him. So the question is not, does God want to use you? That's screaming, resounding, yes. The question is, will you, like Mary, be willing to say, I am the Lord, sir. May the Lord of the world, may the word of the Lord be fulfilled in me. And just like Mary, whenever you respond to what it is that God is calling you to do, what he's, how he's nudging you, it could change the course of your life forever. It could be the exact thing that your kids need to have their hearts turned back towards Jesus. It could be the exact thing that your neighbors need in the midst of their pain and their time of hopelessness. It could be the exact thing that your spouse needs to see that you're serious about leading your family and about your family. There's no limit to what it could be. But it's something. I know that God wants to use you. Because in this story, as well as in our lives, it's as if God is just screaming off the page. If you feel like it would be unexpected for God to use you, you can expect it's you that God wants to use. So may we say, may the word of the Lord be fulfilled in me. Will you pray with me this morning? Jesus, I thank you for the hope that we have in you. And God, just this story. I love this Christmas story so, so much. And Jesus, I do pray for all of us in this room as we go through life and we go through struggles and we go through times of wondering and questioning why you would want to use us. Would you really want to use us, Jesus? I pray that that through this story, we will be able to see that that answer is a resounding yes. And, and I pray that you will make those nudges that you've put on our heart just a little bit more violent so that way we can be moved. Sometimes we're pretty stubborn people. Sometimes our hearts are pretty hard. But will you break through the heart of stone that we have and open our eyes to see who you are and who you're calling us to and what you're calling us to? And will you help us, Jesus? to be humble enough to hear you and bold enough to respond. Jesus, we love you so, so much. And we thank you for the hope that we have in you. And it's your name we pray. Amen.